Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Today on Not Sam Wrestling, the first seeds of SummerSlam news start to get planted. And is the WWE main event roster about to get a shakeup? Let's dissect it. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Happy, happy Monday. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Monday is a busy day in Not Sam World. You got Jim and Sam on Sirius XM. You got Not Sam's Annoying Eater over on YouTube. And then, of course, you've got the main event of it all. Get those curtain jerkers out of the way. Because here comes Not Sam Wrestling. Welcome to the show, everybody. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. The post-300 era of Not Sam Wrestling. Yes, episode 301. Thank you to everybody for hanging out and all the uh, contributions you guys made to the podcast last week on the Q&As and all the feedback you sent in and all that. I always appreciate it. I always love getting feedback on the podcast. Um, We've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, of course, we we actually lost uh, a very important media figure, I think, in the world of professional wrestling, and that's Regis Philbin. Regis Philbin passed away this week at, I believe, the age of 88. And, you know, in a time when there wasn't that much, quote-unquote, serious media paying attention to the WWE and professional wrestling, uh, Regis was that guy. Regis was the guy who was always having wrestlers on Regis and Kathy Lee. Unless it was Kathy Lee that was pulling all the strings. But I have to believe that Regis was the one that did all that. And it's so amazing going back and looking at those interviews. Like, that's something that, of course, the WWE doesn't have the rights to. But I wish they could somehow figure out some kind of licensing deal. Because it's one of the funnest things to search out on YouTube. Seeing... The WWE superstars in an era where, like, kayfabe was still kind of... I'm fixing my chair. Where kayfabe was still kind of around. You know, like, it wasn't... Like, we're not sitting here pretending wrestling is something it's not, but we're also guarding the performers' real-life personas from having people pay attention to them. It was, it, was, it was definitely a time before you saw, you know, wrestlers with their gimmick names as their Twitter handles, but then their real names in their bios, just so everybody knew this is just a character I'm playing, you know? When you had guys showing up, like Macho Man Randy Savage, The Undertaker, Mark Calloway wasn't on Regis and Kathy Lee, but The Undertaker was. Kevin Nash wasn't on. Diesel was. Rick Rude came on in a in a pair of tights with Kathy Lee's face airbrushed onto him and chased her around the entire set because that's what ravishing Rick Rude, the character, would have done. Rodney and Hawaii wasn't on Regis and Kathy Lee, but Yokozuna was, and they'd go on in full gear. Except, like, the, the, the a few of the guys had gear specifically made for Regis and Kathy Lee. Like, there's this great clip of the Ultimate Warrior on the show, and... He did the thing, I believe, on that show because I guess he wants more of his face to be shown or I don't know if he uh, wants to be a little bit more professional. He did the thing where instead of the full Ultimate Warrior makeup on the entire face, he paints the little Ultimate Warrior logos on his cheeks so that you could see more of his face. And then for some reason, instead of doing the show in his trunks, he thought that would be ridiculous to do an entire interview in wrestling trunks. I'm going to have a singlet made. And this is not, you know, 1992 era Ultimate Warrior that was wrestling in singlets. This is 1990 era Ultimate Warrior. This is 
WrestleMania 6, WrestleMania 7 Ultimate Warrior that's living in trunks. And he had a singlet made just to show a little bit more professionalism on Regis and Kathy Lee, which I just loved. But I don't know. Regis always got such a kick out of all the wrestlers and got good interviews out of them and took them all seriously. Like, wrestlers would go on that show and, I mean, the segments would be ridiculous, but they wouldn't be made to look foolish, you know? I I feel like the best wrestling interviews from the early 90s and the late 80s that were taking place outside of wrestling shows was Regis and Kathy Lee and Arsenio Hall. Those two talk shows would have wrestlers on in character, and it would just be some of the best stuff ever. But Regis was a gem, uh, one in a million, and and rest in peace uh, to Regis Philbin. Uh, speaking of wrestlers doing media, I'm sure a lot of you saw Adam Cole was trending on Friday uh, because he uh, he cussed out Pat McAfee. And it's not every day that we see the uh, an NXT superstar just dropping F-bombs left and right. Who knew that any of these NXT superstars even knew any curse words? But Adam Cole is just dropping F-bombs. He's dropping SH words. And not even the approved 2SH word maximum, ooh, this is a naughty show, Wednesday night SH word. Or I guess they've done it on Raw too. But SH words that, generally speaking, would not be appropriate. Uh, you know, Pat McAfee has been, he he was taking shots at Adam Cole. Uh, he's done it every time he's been on kickoff shows. He's done it on his watch alongs. You know, he's, I, I was always surprised. I talked about it on my Sam Roberts now show on YouTube, but very condescending to Adam Cole in a way where it's not even like, like we're doing the kickoff shows and I'd be sitting there. It's one thing. And you're, I know you're sitting there going like, like. Pat McAfee was disrespectful. Have you heard anything that you've said, Sam? Look, I would be straight up with it. If I thought someone was good or I thought somebody was not good or I thought somebody would win or lose or should even be on the show, I would just straight up say it. But I wouldn't be condescending to make it seem like I didn't take the person seriously. I wouldn't be kind of laughing at the person. And that's something that McAfee always did to Adam Cole and always has done to Adam Cole, make little comments about his size and stuff like that, you know. As if Pat McAfee is a giant himself. I mean, Pat McAfee's not a small guy, to tell you the truth. He looks like he's only getting bigger, too. I saw his arms. His arms are huge. But, but, all that said, still, disrespectful to Adam Cole. I guess he finally pushed him too hard. They were doing an interview on uh, his show out there in Indianapolis. It's on Pat McAfee's YouTube channel. And Adam Cole threw the mic down, ended up shoving one of Pat's producers. Not hard, but shoved him. And uh, cursed out Pat and walked out on the interview. Entertaining product, regardless. Entertaining, I was going to say entertaining TV, but entertaining YouTube for sure. Of course, no comment from uh, the WWE at all. No comment from Adam Cole. I don't think the WWE wants to advertise all the cussing. Uh, But Pat McAfee posted some DMs that he had with Adam Cole and said he didn't really know what happened. And look. I hope that Pat McAfee doesn't think that he's the athlete that Adam Cole is. I get that Pat McAfee has been to a Super Bowl or two. I get that he's a professional athlete, but, you know, he hasn't. The things that Adam Cole has done, Adam Cole is spoken of so highly, and I think he's still underrated. That's how good Adam Cole is as a professional wrestler and as an athlete. I mean, Adam Cole can do it all. Adam Cole is the type of guy that Shawn Michaels looks at and goes, yeah, this guy's the heir apparent. That's Shawn Michaels, the greatest to ever do this. So I hope that Pat McAfee doesn't think because, you know, he was the best at kicking footballs for a period of time that he could consider matching athletics with Adam Cole. But it was entertaining nonetheless. I would definitely suggest uh, going out there and and, and finding it. Um a couple of things happened uh, outside of WWE. First of all, congratulations to Eddie Kingston. I've known Eddie Kingston for a long time, um, you know, through the East Coast Indies and stuff like that. And it is so amazing to watch Eddie Kingston finally getting the credit that he deserves. I would love to see Eddie Kingston get scooped up by NXT or something like that. Um, and also, I thought it was cool that Leo Rush was out there on the Independence and that we're going to get another Joey Janela leo Rush match. 
Very, very excited about that. I was in the audience for the last Joey Janela-Leo Rush match a couple of years ago at CZW. It's one where uh, Leo and Janela got all kinds of heat for the no-selling powerbomb through the table, off the ladder, and a no-sell. And it's like a slap in the face to the business. And it's like, relax, relax. Um, but I'm really happy that they're going to do another match, uh, I think, for GCW, Game Changer Wrestling. Uh, I will definitely be watching that one. Uh, and we got uh, some SummerSlam news. Uh, the SummerSlam news that we got was that it, and I think that this was a given, I think people kind of knew, uh, that it would not be happening in Boston. So it hasn't been 100% confirmed that it's going to happen at the Performance Center, but one would have to imagine that it's going to happen at the Performance Center. And I'm sure the WWE didn't think that this would last this long. You know, in April, when the WWE was fighting to try to stay in that stadium in Florida, and it became very, very clear that that wasn't going to be possible, so they had to do WrestleMania at the Performance Center, you know, this is when all of the shows were still trying to figure out what does this stuff look like if we can't have fans in a building? What does wrestling look like if we can't have fans in a building? Um, so I'm sure, I don't think any of us considered the possibility. I think when we said, well, we'll be back in a building by SummerSlam, it was almost like, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, like that's way in advance. It's April now. Of course we'll be back in a in an arena by August. And now in July, you're going, there's no way we're even close so who knows? I mean, realistically at this point, in terms of getting a significant amount of people in a building, you got to be wondering what's going to happen with the Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble is going to be that first test in January. You know, I, I, I mean, I guess there's Survivor Series, but I think you look ahead. I think you look to the Royal Rumble. I would hope that by January, we'll be in a position where we can at least get like maybe 25% of people into buildings. Maybe you can get the buildings about 25% full and space everybody out and everything, hopefully. But man, I don't think anybody expected any of this to last this long. That's why it's been an interesting conversation when you talk about wrestling shows that are on TV right now and the creative and the people who are on top and the stars and everything. It's just, it's, it's a loaded conversation because we're all in a position now where nobody, Nobody thought that we would be in, you know? I mean, we're literally watching MLB baseball games where they are using crowd noise from MLB The Show on PlayStation. They're using video game crowd noise. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy times that we're living in for all this stuff to happen. And that's why everything that we see has to be taken with a grain of salt, um, you know? And who knows how, how this era is going to be remembered. I would hope, I think it'll be remembered as both. I think it'll be remembered uh, for the highlights, you know, the, the the weird stuff we got out of it. But I think it'll also be remembered as a very tough time. I mean, as a fan, I can only imagine as a promoter or as a performer, but all I can speak to is it's been a tough time as a fan. And I think you guys would all agree with me, trying to uh, adapt our viewing habits and expectations to what's going on right now. But something... Very, very interesting happened on SmackDown on Friday. And to me, it was the WWE's most uh, important, I would say, moment of the week. And that was the backstage quick promo that Kofi Kingston and Big E had. And I love that this is the way they did it, man. Look, I think when you look at wrestling right now, and I've been saying this from the beginning— but I think it's more true now than ever. You know, I think that the key to putting on wrestling shows without an audience is short matches, creative segments. They still are not nearly heavy enough. WWE is not nearly heavy enough on storyline and are way too heavy on long matches. I don't think that there should be matches that stretch into commercial breaks. I don't think there should ever be two segment, ma maybe one two segment match per episode of television that WWE does. But beyond that, short matches and storyline hooks that keep you from commercial break to commercial break. I think that that should be the goal that the WWE has. For me, coming out of SmackDown, the thing that I thought about the most was not even the bar fight. 
You know, this cinematic bar fight, which I believe they put on SmackDown because they were like, it was clearly a match designed for pay-per-view. And they put it on TV to go like, look, TV is really important and, and we want to make sure that you guys are watching that too, which you get from a business perspective. But I think the biggest takeaway from SmackDown this week was the Kofi Kingston Big E vignette, the little the promo backstage where Kofi Kingston talks to Big E and says, hey man, I'm going to be out for six weeks. This is your time. Xavier's gone. I'm going to be gone. This is on you now. Now it's time to make an impact. And Big E's like, oh, I don't know, man. I don't know. And Kofi's like, no, you got to go do this. And I think that that was so important because it resonated with so many fans. A, a Big E, it's, and when we've talked about that many times on the podcast, a Big E singles push is something that fans have been waiting for for an extremely long time. You know, you go back to Big E's days in NXT, and this was when NXT was a completely different thing than it is today. This is when NXT was truly developmental. And Big E was one of the top performers there. Big E was doing the King Kong Bundy five-count gimmick. Big E came to the main roster, and, you know, he was a little lost. He was Dolph Ziggler's bodyguard. His strength was played into, meaning not his strengths were played into. The fact that he's a very strong man was played into. I think his strengths are what's played into now is personality. The guy, as big and strong as he is, he's even more entertaining than that. I mean, Big E has got to be as much the total package as you're ever going to find in a performer. You've got a guy who is going to turn your head. If you've got a Regis and Kathy Lee type interview show and you put Big E on that show, he's going to dwarf the host. You want that. You want that when you're promoting wrestling. You want a guy to show up and he just looks abnormal. You want a guy whose breast is bigger than your head, right? And he can make him dance if he wants to. You want a guy whose quad is going to take up the entire chair. And that's Big E Langston. You want a guy who, if the host says, hey, can you lift up the entire set? He goes, yeah, of course I can. And he can deadlift the entire set, if need be. That's what you want. That's old school wrestling. And that uh, attraction never goes away. So Big E's got that. At the same time, Big E is hilarious to talk to. He's a hilarious person. He's an entertaining person. He can be involved in interviews with anybody. Step three, he's great in the ring. He's great in the ring, not only because he can put on good matches that are believable, but he commands attention. When he's in the ring. Step four, he's relevant. He's aware of, of what the young people are doing outside of professional wrestling. He's in touch with that part of it. He's in touch with the culture outside of wrestling. And that to me is one of the biggest things that wrestling is missing right now. That there is no, that, that, that it's not really hitting that culture that is not already a wrestling fan. All wrestling on television right now is being promoted towards wrestling fans. It's, we have the best wrestling matches on TV. And when wrestling is at its best, it's when the non-fans are watching. And the non-fans aren't watching because you've got the best wrestling matches on TV. Think about the segments that have gotten the most eyes on them. The Rock versus the Rock and, man, uh, and Mankind, This Is Your Life Rock. Nobody was even in wrestling gear for that segment. Nobody was, there was not one pair of tights in the whole segment. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon. One of the most compelling, I'm sorry, Mr. McMahon. One of the most compelling entertainment characters of all time and one of the most unathletic characters of all time. The Mean Street Posse Versus Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson. One of the most highest rated segments in the history of Monday Night Raw. What are the segments we remember? Triple H marries Stephanie McMahon. Again, no tights. No tights. Now, it's important that all these segments lead to matches. You know. And they all do. All the segments that I just mentioned did. But that, to me, is what you need to have on this show, you need to have a guy like Big E who people are interested in watching, not just wrestling fans going like, I hope there's a Big E match tonight. 
people are going, I want to see what Big E's going to do tonight. And that's got to go across the board. So I started thinking about this a lot. And I started thinking about Big E a lot and how Kofi's right and how that 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 scripted segment is a true segment, that this does need to be Big E's time. People have been, fans have been wanting a Big E singles push, but it's been complicated because people don't want the New Day to break up. The only, I mean, because Big E is so big, people assumed that in order to do a Big E singles push, you have uh, E turn on the New Day. And that takes away a lot of the charm, you know? I, I, I think that when you look at Kofi Kingston's title run, which was cut off way too short with no follow-up whatsoever. I mean, one of the greatest crimes in wrestling history is the fact that Kofi Kingston's entire WWE title run was squashed in 30 seconds with zero follow-up ever, ever, ever. A year ago. Almost a year ago. Or will it be? I think it was maybe. No, it'll be two years ago. Yeah, it'll. No, it'll be a year. Will it be two years ago? No, it'll be a year ago. It'll be a year ago. A year ago in October, it was squashed with no follow-up whatsoever in a year. In a year. Not even a mention. But one of the things that made that title run while it lasted so great was that the New Day didn't disintegrate, but there was also no question that Kofi Kingston was the focus. That there was no sort of, we're all the champion. It was Kofi is the champion and we have his back. Xavier Woods and Big E have his back. That is the situation that you kind of have to run in with Big E. But how do you do that without doing a copy of the Kofi Kingston story? And the answer, you wait until Xavier and Kofi are injured. And now you've got no choice but to have Big E be a singles competitor. And he's got the ability to do it. I started thinking about Big E, and I feel like Kofi going out for six weeks needs to not only be the catalyst to restart Big E's career or bring Big E, not restart his career, but start the next chapter of Big E's career, but it needs to be the catalyst to start the next chapter of the entire WWE main event scene. You know, I mean... When you look at, you know, Dolph Ziggler versus Drew McIntyre, you go, this is a great match between two great wrestlers. What's missing here? Why why am I not, like, over the moon for this? And the answer is because it's not new. It's not fresh. It doesn't feel new or fresh. Braun and Bray, why am I not over the moon for this? It doesn't feel fresh. It doesn't feel new. I'm not interested. I think that... that the time that we're in right now, we need to start building towards what is WWE going to look like when fans are let back into buildings. And I think when fans are back into buildings, it cannot look like we're just going to pick up where we left off. And these nine months, 12 months, 15 months, however long that gap is between the last show with fans and the next show with fans, it can't feel like nothing's happened in that time. As much as we want to be like, well, maybe if we just go into a holding pattern and then when fans come back, we can have the good stuff happen again. You can't do that. It's too. There's too much time. That only works if you're going to be out for a month. Not if you're going to be out for a year. You can't be in a holding pattern. Uh, I think that now is the time that the WWE needs to completely reinvent and redesign the main event scene. I think that the main event of the WWE needs to look entirely different when we as fans can go into arenas again. Um, you know, and I, and I think you have to go through the roster and say, how do we do this? Because there are guys that we've wanted to be in the main event forever, but they've simply been there too long. Like, that's the problem that I think Cesaro finds himself in. That as much... As much as you want to see Cesaro finally have that run that you've asked for, it's been a decade. Or however long it's been. You, it's, it's like we've been asking for too 
long. Cesaro would have to change so dramatically that it would have to feel like there's a new superstar. And that's actually something that I think that, that we have to do with Big E, right? So if I'm going over to WWE right now, and they're going, Sam, what do we do? How do we start with Big E? I think that that we need to refresh Big E. I think that the thing about Kofi is that Kofi aesthetically did not look like part of a tag team when he went into WrestleMania 33, 34, and won, or was it 35? Yeah, WrestleMania 35, and won the WWE Championship from Daniel Bryan. Um, he looked like Kofi. I think that, that Big E needs to reinvent the attire a little bit, okay? I see Big E, first of all, let's get the meat on display, you know what I mean? Let's get that big old chest, let's get them big old arms, let's get them big old thighs, let's get everything on display. I think Big E keeps the colors, but I think he goes tie-dye. I love tie-dye. I'm, I'm In my head, I'm envisioning turquoise pink and white tie-dye, and I'm thinking trunks. I'm thinking straight up trunks, no shirt, but I think maybe we wear like a tie-dye Big E shirt, pink, blue, and white, kind of like New Day, but it says Big E on it. And he wears it Scott Hall style, Scott Hall NWO style with the sides cut off and the sleeves cut off. So it's more like just like a, almost like a poncho type looking thing. And he can come to the ring with the t-shirt on, he rips off the t-shirt, let's go. Big E is in trunks and boots and kick pads and maybe high knee pads, right? So everything from above his knee is covered. But he's just in trunks. He's not in the typical Big E gear. This is how we know we're looking at a new Big E. He looks different. He's still got the bright colors on. He's still being entertaining. But he looks different. I think that that's important. You know, I think when you look at SmackDown and you look at the main event scene, I think this is how we shake it up. I think we get Braun away from the title, you know? We get the Fiend away from the title. I think Braun needs to just, Braun almost needs to take on the role that the Big Show takes on, where he's an attraction. Like, Braun is there. When you need somebody to smash up some cool stuff, Braun is there. And then maybe eventually, as a challenger that you don't think your champion is going to be able to overcome, Braun will be there. But I don't think Braun can be your day-in, day-out champion of the world. I don't think the fiend should be anywhere near the title. You just it just gets too tricky. It gets too hairy and you end up in a situation where you've got to go to a place that we won't talk about to have a match that we won't talk about and maybe he gets beaten by Goldberg, but we won't talk about that right now. You know, you end up in situations like that where you're going, "What the hell happened?" Or the hell in a cell with Rollins where you're like, "What the hell happened?" You know, you need the fiend needs to be an attraction. You look at the Undertaker's career and the Undertaker, he doesn't have a ton of time as champion of the world. There were spots where he needed to be called upon to take that title. But in general, he's just an omnipresent essence. The Undertaker's always there. He's always in giant matches. He's always going to be an attraction. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's got to be a champion or be wrestling for the championship. And I think that that's the situation that both Braun Strowman and The Fiend should be in. The Fiend should be a major part of SmackDown. Bray Wyatt should be on every episode of SmackDown. There should always be somebody that The Fiend is haunting, and The Fiend should never lose. But in order to get that done, he can't be the Universal Champion. You know, I think that that now is the time that you start using people. You know, You've got to put people in a position where when you get them back in front of crowds, people are going to cheer for them. Or we can at least see if people are going to cheer for them, and then you've got to listen to them. When you look at the top people that have been the most successful in WWE since Hulk Hogan, it's always going to be the people who the fans choose, and then you just get behind them 100%. You can create stars. WWE is a hell of a machine, and they can create stars that go mainstream. They put... Everything behind John Cena, and John Cena went mainstream. And people, and you know, fans, of course, love John Cena. They put everything behind Roman Reigns, and Roman Reigns went mainstream. But there are a few, there are a handful of superstars that got there without it being WWE's plan necessarily. 
And WWE went with that reaction. And because you could feel the energy and you could hear the fans and the fans are the ones that put them there, they become a different entity. Those stars become a different entity. Stone Cold Steve Austin was not put in a position to succeed and become the main guy in the company before the fans said, without saying, we want him in that position. Same thing for The Rock. As a matter of fact, Rocky Maivia was supposed to be a top guy. But fans poo-pooed all over him. When he started doing The Rock, I don't think that The Rock was created as a character that would be the main guy in WWE. The Rock was just created in the sense that, well, we I don't know what to do. This isn't working like I thought it would. Let's try this Rock thing. And when that clicked in, WWE went with it, and he became the biggest star in the world. In the modern era, when you're not talking about Roman Reigns and you're not talking about John Cena, who are your top two people? Who are the two people that have become top performers in WWE and have crossed over to the point where mainstream knows who they are and mainstream knows their name. I don't watch wrestling, but I keep hearing about this person. The answer, Daniel Bryan and Becky Lynch. People know Daniel Bryan and people know Becky Lynch. And none of the, neither one of those two were supposed to be that person. Neither one of them. And they got there because they got there. Because you listen to the fans. You know, and, and and that's something that you'll never be able to take away from either of those two performers. So I think the best thing that you can do right now is, and it's very difficult, because right now, even if you wanted to listen to fan response, you can't, because there's no arena fan response. I mean, you can pay attention to the internet. You can look at ratings. You can kind of try to catch a vibe. You can try to predict the way the fans are going to react, but you can't really know. So I think the best thing you can do is set up a handful of people in positions to succeed and then just kind of listen to the audience to see who should be the person and who shouldn't be the person. I think if you're talking about SmackDown, I think immediately Big E needs to be in a main event position. And when I say immediately, I mean the work needs to start immediately. I don't mean he should be in a world title match at SummerSlam. I think that would be rushing it. But I think right away he should come out looking different, feeling different, and letting that natural momentum start to build. Because I think it's what, I mean, we already know this is what people have wanted for a long time. I think that Baron Corbin is somebody that WWE actually needs to build. I think with Baron Corbin, we're, we're in an interesting time right now because I think if you don't elevate Baron Corbin now, you're not going to be able to do it later. There's, you know, not that he'll have to leave WWE and and it'll be the When you've been in WWE for a certain period of time, there's just a way that people look at you. I know that guy. There's just, it's too difficult to break out from that shell. I think that's the thing with Dolph Ziggler. People know who Dolph Ziggler is. They know what Dolph Ziggler is. They know what to expect from Dolph Ziggler. They know what level he's supposed to be on. And that's why you can't fluctuate too much with a character like Dolph. I think the same thing now is with Cesaro. Like as much as people want for him to be a top guy in the company, I don't think it's possible because he's been there for too long. I think Baron Corbin, if you don't do this now, I don't think you'll be able to get it done. I personally think that Baron Corbin absolutely needs to have a stable, a king's court, if you will. But even if he doesn't, he needs to be a bad guy that wins matches. And it needs to be going somewhere. You know, I think that Baron Corbin could be a modern day JBL. You know, I think that Baron Corbin is a heel on that level. He's a heel that people genuinely hate. He's a heel that people boo and they they get happy when he gets beaten up on television or in an arena. And I don't think that comes around that often. I think that's something to take advantage of. I look back very fondly on JBL's title run. And I look back very fondly on the matches that he and Eddie Guerrero had. But those matches, I wouldn't have looked back as fondly on them if JBL wasn't such a consummate heel. And I think the Baron Corbin has that power too. But 
In order to be hated on that level, you have to win matches. People aren't going to resent you if you lose all the time. If you're a guy that everybody hates and then you lose, people feel satisfied. So if I don't like Baron Corbin and his music starts playing, I'm not really going to get that annoyed because I know there's a pretty good chance that he's not going to win. And losing to guys like Elias and, and everybody else that Baron Corbin has lost to will do that. I think that Baron Corbin needs to start winning all of his matches now. Um, don't put him in matches just to just to lose. I don't think that Baron Corbin should be the guy who new guys come in and he's the credible heel that they're able to beat. I don't think that's the role Baron Corbin should be playing. I don't know if that's... Maybe that's Cesaro. Maybe it's Sheamus. Maybe it's Shinsuke Nakamura. I don't know who it is. But I don't think that's Baron Corbin. I think Baron Corbin is very, very valuable in that department. And I think I, I mean, personally, I wouldn't mind if Baron Corbin was the one to take the title off of Braun Strowman. I like the idea of Baron Corbin being the universal champion and the quest to find a new top baby face is who's going to be the guy to dethrone Baron Corbin. I think if you put the title on Baron Corbin soon, maybe not SummerSlam, but you spend from now until SummerSlam building Corbin and building Corbin and building Corbin to the point where he actually does beat Braun Strowman. And then you have Baron maybe beat AJ Styles. You know, I mean, I get AJ Styles is a huge, AJ Styles is one of those guys though, that at a moment's notice, he could be a baby face. He could be a heel. It doesn't matter. But, you know, you have Baron Corbin beat AJ Styles. You have Baron Corbin beat Daniel Bryan, maybe. You have guys, I, I I think that that's another thing. I think that the more experienced guys should be used now just to establish the younger guys. And I think that Baron Corbin should get a couple of really considerable wins under his belt. And I think that Baron Corbin should be used as the guy who the next big main event and good guy beats. And I think that for a couple reasons. Number one, because you've got a, a real victory over a real heel. And number two, then you've got a fresh match. You've got Baron Corbin versus whoever this new good guy is. If it's Big E, if it's somebody else. But I think that's what you do with Baron Corbin. I think Matt Riddle should be one of these guys that you look at as, I don't think he should be doing promos about why he doesn't wear shoes. I think he should be one of those guys because Matt Riddle has this great combination of he's entertaining, he's got a good personality, he's fun to listen to, and he feels like a legitimate athlete because he comes from that MMA world. So like you, and he's big too. He's a big guy. He's unassuming when he does his promos, so it's easy to cheer for him. But then when you watch him in the ring, you're like, oh, this guy could legitimately kick any of our asses right now. I think that's the key for Matt Riddle. I think Matt Riddle has all the potential in the world to be one of the top guys on SmackDown, you know? I, I would buy into a Matt Riddle-Baron Corbin Universal Championship match. But I think that's the level, too, that we need to be thinking on. Not established, established, established. New guys, new guys, new guys. I think that uh, Sasha and Becky, uh, Sasha and Bailey, I'm sorry, Sasha and Bailey need to be pushed to the moon. I don't think that they should be split at all before uh, fans come back. I don't think they should be split for a while. I think Sasha and, and Bailey are, as of right now, I think the maybe the MVP of the first month or so, maybe first two months of quarantine was probably Drew McIntyre. I think, ironically, the MVP of quarantine, um, honorable mention, goes to MVP just because of all the roles he's able to fill and everything he's able to do well on Raw. But I think in terms of performers that you're really going to get a lot out of over the course of the next several years after all this is over, Bailey and Sasha Banks have taken their careers to another level during this quarantine. I think that that's something that you really have to look at. I think the idea that the same way for a period of time, Monday Night Raw was centered around Degeneration X. I think that we have to look into the real possibility of do we center SmackDown around Sasha and Bailey? Because Sasha Banks and Bailey, as of now, are the most entertaining act on TV. 
I think that it's realistic that we're at we're we're at that point with these women. I would also I would make a big trade. I would trade Otis over to Monday Night Raw. And the reason I would trade Otis over to Monday Night Raw is I think it's time to uh see if Otis has what it takes to be a main eventer. But I think if you're telling the story of Big E coming up as a main eventer, I think that the same babyface energy that would be behind supporting Big E would also be behind supporting Otis. So I don't think you can have the rise of Otis and the rise of Big E on the same show. I think you can have the rise of Big E on SmackDown and the rise of Otis on Raw and bring Mandy with you. Mandy and Otis together on Monday Night Raw. But I would move Otis and his briefcase and Mandy Rose over to Monday Night Raw. And from Raw, I would bring Aleister Black over to SmackDown. Because I think Aleister Black is being wasted on Raw right now. Um, I actually think the more time he's on TV on Monday Night Raw, the more damaging it is to a potentially great character on WWE. And I love the idea of SmackDown coming back to arenas with a main event like Aleister Black versus Baron Corbin. Or turn Aleister Black heel. Maybe the main event is Big E versus Baron Corbin and Big E's first challenger is Aleister Black. But can you imagine if we get to a place in WWE where we're looking at Big E, Baron Corbin, Matt Riddle, Aleister Black as the main eventers on the men's side and Bailey and Sasha Banks are making just as big an impact, if not a bigger impact on the women's side? I think that's what you want SmackDown to look like after quarantine. The the biggest stars on SmackDown, the ones that are on the posters, the ones that are on the trucks, the ones that are on the cups, as CM Punk pointed out, are not AJ Styles, are not Daniel Bryan, are not Braun Strowman. It's Big E, it's Baron Corbin, it's Matt Riddle, it's Aleister Black. I would also bring Bobby Lashley and MVP and Shelton Benjamin all over to SmackDown. I would not make Bobby Lashley and MVP big stars and title holders on SmackDown, but I would make them big stars that somebody like Big E or Aleister Black could get a victory over on their way up. I mean, I think that I think the idea of Big E getting to a place where it looks like he's ready for an opportunity at the title, only to have Bobby Lashley come in and mess it up would be an amazing thing. I love the idea of on the same pay-per-view, maybe it's Survivor Series, maybe, you know, I, although they're probably doing the team thing for Survivor Series, but maybe it's September, maybe it's October. I love the idea of a Braun Strowman versus Baron Corbin universal title match and a Bobby Lashley versus Big E match where you're really watching that. It's not officially saying the winner will be the number one contender, but you're really watching that going like, oh, this might be the moment that we're able to elevate Big E into that universal championship picture. And then you move towards Big E versus Baron Corbin. All the while, Matt Riddle and Aleister Black are sitting there. And if you're looking at this and you're going like, okay, if we've got Bobby Lashley and Baron Corbin on SmackDown as our our big time bad guys, we now can put Big E, Aleister Black, and Matt Riddle all in top positions so that when we come back to arenas, we can listen to the crowd. And of those three, who is the guy that the people want right now? And let's just go with it. Of those three, those are the three, I think, on SmackDown. Of those three, who are the ones that the people are going to go with? Now, over on Monday Night Raw, you've got a similar thing where I think you've got, like, Randy Orton, Rey Mysterio, and Seth Rollins. I think they all have a lot of value. I think they should all stay on Raw. But I think Randy Orton, Rey Mysterio, and Seth Rollins should play the same role that I think that Bobby Lashley, uh, Daniel Bryan, and Braun Strowman should play on SmackDown, which is these are the highly credible athletes that younger guys can beat to prove that they are the ones that should be in the main event. I think that Drew McIntyre is a step in the right direction. But I think if we're going to have... So far, I mean, let's look at the people who Drew McIntyre has had as challengers so far. He beat Brock Lesnar for the title. That's a big step because Drew is his first WWE championship match, right? So theoretically, 
this is we're this is we're we're crowning what the new generation of WWE is going to look like. But who is he defended against? He's defended against Seth Rollins. He's defended against the Big Show. He's defended against Bobby Lashley, and he's defended against Dolph Ziggler. Seth Rollins is the newest guy that he's defended against, and Seth Rollins has been WWE forever. You're literally talking about the Big Show who got there in the Attitude Era. And I know it was the same night, but still, it works to the point. You're talking about Dolph Ziggler, who's been there over 10 years. You're talking about Bobby Lashley, who's been there over 10 years. I mean, I know he left and he came back. But I mean, Bobby Lashley was wrestling in WWE when Trump was still doing stuff with wrestling. He wasn't even the president. Wasn't even close to being the president yet. So Drew McIntyre has just been defending against the old guard this whole time. Seth Rollins, Bobby Lashley, Big Show, Dolph Ziggler are all old guard opponents. And now it looks like he's headed to SummerSlam to face Randy Orton. That's five guys. None of them are new. None of those five guys are new to the main event scene whatsoever. They tried to make it with Bobby Lashley, and they could have. I mean, if you had stretched out, if you had done that Bobby Lashley story a little bit differently and maybe made it into a series of matches, you could have started to paint the main event scene to look different, but you didn't. You only did one match with Bobby Lashley. And I think that that's that's why, to me, the Drew McIntyre title run is starting to cool a little bit. I think that the Randy Orton-Drew McIntyre match can be great. I think that story that they tell can be great because the story that Edge and Randy Orton told was great. But Edge and Randy Orton was perfect because... Edge and Randy Orton, you're just looking at two legends of the same era compete, and it is what it is. It doesn't feel like the WWE is afraid to pass the torch. But when you're passing the torch to somebody new like Drew McIntyre, and you won't put them in the ring with new people, then you're not really passing the torch. You're not really trusting Drew as the guy because you're putting him against guys that have been there forever, already established guys. I mean, I think when you look at Raw, to me, I think Angel Garza is a guy that really stands out. Andrade stands out too. I think Angel Garza stands out even more though. I love Andrade and Angel Garza. However, I think that they should stay a team. I don't think you should be teasing a breakup. I think Zelina is too good. I think they're too good together. I think the three of them as a, as, as a combined force are excellent. Austin Theory being away from that group is a good thing. I think that 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 we should stop all the hijinks of Angel Garza and Andrade not getting along. And I mean, I think that that Angel Garza and Andrade as a team should go on a run to put them in the conversation with Harlem Heat, to put them in the conversation with Demolition, to put them in the conversation with the Heart Foundation. You know, that that these two are defined by this team. And eventually, we can get to a place where I would think probably Angel Garza would bounce off that team and jump into the main event. But he's young, man. I think that there's no reason, especially with Zelina Vega there, that you can't make that a famous all-star forever team. So I think you keep the two of them as a team. But in terms of the main event, I think that the people you don't keep a team are the Street Profits. I think that if you want to get people talking, you have the Street Profits lose the tag team championships to uh, Angel and Andrade. And then you have Montez turn heel. And you break up the Street Profits. You break up the Street Profits and you have Montez turn heel. And I think if you have Montez Ford turning heel, you would immediately have vibes of Shawn Michaels in the Rockers, and you'd have vibes of Rocky Maivia becoming the Rock. I think that everybody looks at Montez Ford as this just heaping helping of potential. And I know it's ironic coming from me since I have nuclear heat with Montez Ford. I mean, I can't go two steps through Westchester, New York, without watching my back, just in case Montez is behind me. Montez Ford pops up on my Instagram feed and I get scared, okay? Nuclear heat with Montez Ford. 
but I have to take myself out of that. I'm not the guy who can exist behind the scenes in WWE, even though everybody hates me and only Triple H likes me. I have to take myself out of that and just become a fan. And when I am a fan, I am telling you that I know that I am not alone. I know that there's a tidal wave of fans that are like, man, I like Dawkins. I like the Street Profits. But there's something about Montez Ford. It's in his promos. It's in his movements. It's his charisma. It's the way he jumps. It's his athleticism. There's just something about that guy. And I know people felt it at NXT when the Street Profits won the Tag Team Championship in that ladder match. That's why I had Montez Ford on the podcast right after that. I mean, don't tell the internet because they'll start thinking that we don't have nuclear heat if they listen to that podcast. But, but, Montez Ford, if you have him turn and you have him and, and Dawkins do a little bit of a... Uh, 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 of, uh, uh, a rivalry, but not even really. I mean, you know, I I like the idea of them having a match on pay-per-view just because I always I always hate it when a tag team breaks up and they don't have a pay-per-view match against each other at some point. But, you know, I think that the idea is that Montez Ford separates from the Street Profits, becomes a bad guy temporarily, by the way, because this will be the beauty of it. You turn Montez Ford and you make him a bad guy and you put him into the main event scene, You'll put yourself in a position where it seems like you have no choice but to make him a good guy, even though that was your plan all along. You know it's going to work. And I mean, dude, if you get to a place where in six months you can do Montez Ford, and you come up with some kind of nickname, by the way, if you want to. The way Shawn Michaels left and became the Heartbreak Kid. I'm sure Montez Ford can come up with a creative nickname. Come up with a creative nickname. But you do a good guy, Drew McIntyre, versus a bad guy, Montez Ford, and that's your raw main event for a pay-per-view? Are you not getting goosebumps six months from now? What's July, August, September, October, November, December? If you head into the Royal Rumble and your Royal Rumble Raw Championship match is Drew McIntyre versus Montez Ford, come on. And you could get away with it at the Royal Rumble. Because you've still got the 30-man Royal Rumble match. But come the E-double-F on. Six months from now, if I told you in six months, Montez Ford versus Drew McIntyre is your WWE Championship main event. Oh, through the roof. I'm so excited. I think there are two other guys that need to come on board. You're saying, okay, well, the Royal Rumble match. Who wins the Royal Rumble? The answer is Adam Cole. The answer is Adam Cole wins the Royal Rumble. Because Adam Cole, I said a couple weeks ago, I think you should bring the Undisputed Era over to SmackDown, but I've already got my three people on SmackDown. On Raw, Adam Cole is one of my guys. I think you, you put, man, you put Adam Cole on Raw, if you just inject this new energy into Raw, this unpredictability, and you just let these guys go, you're, you're going to have a show again, man. You're going to have a show. Give me that Adam Cole that cursed out Pat McAfee. Put him on Monday Night Raw. Have him win the Royal Rumble this year. You thought Drew McIntyre winning the Rumble was big? You have Adam Cole win the Rumble and go on to WrestleMania to face the WWE Champion in the Raw main event? Forget about it. Let's roll the dice, baby. Let's shake it up. Let's make it undisputed. And then, of course, you're sitting there going like, okay, you got to heal Montez Ford that eventually is going to be a babyface. Okay. You got Adam Cole, who might kind of be in the same boat, right? You're going to get big Sean vibes from Adam Cole, too. I think Montez Ford, maybe a little more rock vibes because he's so charismatic and funny and, and, and that whole thing. And Adam Cole is more cocky but can back it up type of thing. But still charismatic, like off the charts. And then, you know, who do you got? What kind of big baby face you got? Otis. Don't you remember from before? Otis. Otis goes over to Raw with the briefcase. You kidding me? You kidding me? Otis is sitting there chasing? You're sitting there going like, well, it's Montez Ford versus Drew McIntyre for the championship, but maybe Otis will come in and take it. Come on, let's mix it up. You're not excited by that? I am. I am. 
They did that Otis and Mandy, because Otis and Mandy Rose is not just a goof. If you put Otis and Mandy Rose as a unit together, boyfriend, girlfriend, on Monday Night Raw, and you do not do it with the intention of breaking them up. Like, I mean, Otis and Mandy Rose should be the 2020 Randy Savage and Elizabeth. There is one wrestling wedding that didn't get ruined until the reception with that dastardly Jake the Snake Roberts. But Macho Man Randy Savage and Elizabeth, they got married and the wedding went off without a hitch. Let's do it, man. Otis and Mandy Rose should go to Monday Night Raw and they should get married and it shouldn't get ruined and they should just be married. It should be Otis and Mandy Rose. Otis Rose and Mandy Rose and they're together and she loves him and he loves her and it's a, it's a, it's a completely healthy relationship and she's got his back. People go nuts for it. You got a big guy like Otis who you can't help but smile when you look at him. You talk about WWE put smiles on people's faces. That's Otis in a nutshell. Then you find out he's got the hottest chick in the world. He's got the hottest chick in the game wearing his chain. That's right, Otis. Forget it. Forget it. You got a star right there, my friend. You got a star. You've got a, a an opportunity where if you play this right, by the time WrestleMania or the Raw after WrestleMania rolls around, several months from now, your main event for Monday Night Raw could be Adam Cole versus Otis. Rose, Otis Rose. And people love it. People will love it. Give me the pencil, bro. Just give me the pencil. And then over on NXT, uh, uh, you know, NXT has always done a pretty good job of mixing things up because they don't have any other choice because talent comes and talent goes. Um, but for me, I think that NXT right now should be all about Keith Lee, Karrion Cross, and Timothy Thatcher. I think you got to build Timothy Thatcher to the moon. Um, I think you got to make him look like a young Stu Hart where he's just ripping people limb from limb. I think the one change I would make on NXT is I would put Chad Gable back in NXT and I would have him join Timothy Thatcher. I think Chad Gable and Timothy Thatcher together would be just absolute money. Money, 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 money. But there you have it. That's my big change for NXT. Gable and Thatcher together, but NXT is all about Keith Lee, Timothy Thatcher, and Karrion Cross. SmackDown is all about Big E, Matt Riddle, and Aleister Black with Baron Corbin as a heel champion. And Monday Night Raw is all about Montez Ford, Adam Cole, and Otis. With Drew McIntyre as that champion over there. Man, for me, I think it's the only way to go. I think it's the only way to go. Uh, Grim Reaper's asking, uh, Montez Ford can join the Hurt Business with MVP to get his heel turn going. Man, no. No, because here's why Montez Ford can't join the Hurt Business with MVP, because MVP and Lashley are going to be on SmackDown. I already put them over on SmackDown. I moved them to SmackDown. And I don't think Montez Ford should be in any group. I think he should leave the Street Profits and just become a heel by himself. He doesn't need a manager. He doesn't need a mouthpiece. MVP is perfect for Shelton Benjamin, and MVP is perfect for Bobby Lashley, because he can do their promos for them. Nobody needs to do Montez Ford's promos for him. Let Montez Ford be his own man. And you watch this guy skyrocket. Start him off as a heel. And you're sitting there with the potential of Otis versus Montez Ford. Adam Cole versus Montez Ford. Drew McIntyre versus Otis. I mean, come on. Come on. And then, of course, your biggest tag team on SmackDown should be Sasha and Bailey, And your biggest tag team on Raw should be Andrade and Angel Garza. It's really, really simple, man. That's the way I see it going, man. That is the way that I see it going. If you like what I'm saying here, if you don't like what I'm saying, you can hit me up on email, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Of course, the Discord room is open. That's where I got that question off of. Um, the Discord room, you can only have access to if you are a Not Sam Shill. To become a Not Sam Shill, sign up at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Not only will you have access to the Discord room, but you will get an extra podcast every single Thursday, a bonus Not Sam Wrestling show 
where we break down everything going on in the world of wrestling. Um, all of that for less than a dollar a week. Plus, you can start going up in the tiers, get exclusive merchandise offers. You can see the podcast recorded live. You can watch the video, get exclusive video access to everything. It's all available at patreon.com slash Wrestling. Thank you all for being a part of another episode of Not Sam Wrestling. For you, Not Sam Shills, I'll see you on Thursday. For the rest of you, Not Sam Tonight's, I'll see you back here first thing next Monday morning for Not Sam Wrestling 302. See y'all later. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone.